0: Hey everybody, it is Monday, October 10th. I'm Mo Wanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. Okay, now to a few of the headlines we're tracking on this Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day, depending on your city or state. Here are a few of the stories we're tracking in today's podcast. We'll have the latest from Ukraine as Russian President Putin responds to the first time to that huge bridge explosion over the weekend. The longest bridge in Europe connecting Crimea to Russia was partially blown up. Protests in Iran are continuing into their fourth week that comes as Iranian state television was hacked over the weekend. Here at home, I'll tell you about some of the security measures that voting places in America are taking four weeks before midterms. Rapper Kanye West managed to get himself partially banned from Twitter and Instagram over the weekend. I'll tell you about his latest controversy. An American woman broke a record at the Chicago Marathon on Sunday. And I'll end with a new study on why early dinner and condensing all of your eating to a few hours is one way to better health and less fat gain. Okay, let's start the podcast in Ukraine. You may have seen the pictures over the weekend of that massive explosion on the bridge that connected the Crimea region to Russia. Well, Russian President Putin on Sunday spoke out for the first time, calling the attack a terrorist act masterminded by Ukrainian special services. The Kirsch Bridge runs 12 miles, nearly 20 kilometers. It holds strategic and symbolic value to Russia. Putin actually personally opened it himself in 2018. This is four years after Russia took the Crimea region from Ukraine. On Saturday, it appeared to get hit by a massive truck bomb. The images were really stunning. I've posted a few videos on my Instagram account. The bridge actually has a truck link as well as a rail link. Part of the road collapsed into the water. Uh, the rail link caught on fire. It was a huge morale victory for the Ukrainians who were already setting up photos around Kiev for people to take pictures in front of the exploded bridge. The Russians have reopened parts of the bridge, even though part of it collapsed into the water. It was, though, a true punch in the gut for the Russians. Putin personally opened the bridge, as I said, back in May 2018 by literally driving a truck across it as a symbol of Russia's claims on the Crimea region. The bridge itself costs several billion dollars. So it was really a huge engineering challenge. It is the longest bridge in all of Europe and Crimea has become a popular vacation resort for Russians. As far as the last year is concerned though, that bridge has been a vital route for Russians to be supplying their military through Crimea into Southern Ukraine, as the Russian military has tried to make more advances into Ukraine. And so the Ukrainians have been looking at targeting this bridge for a while. Putin calling it on Sunday, a terrorist attack. Though in Kyiv, a presidential advisor to Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, called Putin's accusations, quote, too cynical even for Russia. The advisor told the media, quote, Putin accuses Ukraine of terrorism. It has not even been 24 hours since Russian planes fired 12 rockets into a residential area in one of our communities, killing 13 people. There's only one state terrorist and the whole world knows who he is. As Russia tries to rebuild that bridge, this is only the latest setback. For the Russians, in recent weeks, Ukrainians have staged a massive counteroffensive, taking back more than 1,200 square miles, larger than the size of Rhode Island, taking parts of both their eastern part of their country and southern part of their country back. That has come as Russia has tried to call up several hundred thousand men to join the military in Ukraine. That has led to protests and an exodus of hundreds of thousands of Russians out of the country. Now, while it appears the Russians do have the supply route, partially up and running again, the attack does show that Ukraine can hit the Russians way behind enemy lines. It was also noticed in Moscow by journalists, commentators, as well as members of the public who have been fed a steady stream of positive news over the course of these past eight months. Now to the latest in Iran, which heads into the fourth week of protests this week. The national nightly news program on Iranian state television was hacked on Saturday, and that was as the country's supreme leader was on the program. I've posted a clip of this on my Instagram account, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Now, as the news program was showing the Ayatollah uh, holding meetings that day, hackers took over the broadcast, flashing an image of the Ayatollah. Underneath was an image of Masa Amini. She's the woman whose death at the hands of the morality police has sparked these protests. Her picture appeared alongside three other women who've allegedly also been killed in the unrest. A caption read, join us and stand up that came along with texts criticizing the Ayatollah for their deaths. A song with the lyrics, women, life, freedom, which has become a common chant among the protesters also played in the background. The group that allegedly did the hack, they're calling themselves Ali's Justice, also posted their social media details on the screen. The hack is just the latest sign that the Iranian Islamic regime is losing control over aspects of the society. It comes as the country has entered a fourth week of protests all over the country in more than 80 cities, college campuses, even schoolgirls under the age of 18 are protesting. The movement has proved to be even more durable than any previous challenges to the leadership in Tehran and could pose a continuing threat to the regime. Students across the country rallied outside universities on Sunday, chanting slogans, including death to the dictator and schoolgirls marched in the streets of Tehran, waving their veils in the air, a gesture that has really become the central expression of dissent in the country. The governor of Kurdistan, this is the region in the north where Masa Amini comes from, ordered universities closed. That's likely to try to avoid more protests as students have really been at the forefront here. A number of Iranian shopkeepers also went on strike on Sunday uh, to show their support for the protesters. This comes as the government regime there is really going to extreme and deadly and illegal lengths Try to quell these protests. Iranian school children were apparently being arrested inside their schools on Sunday by security forces who arrived in vans without license plates. Footage that is leaking out on social media, despite some of the internet outages, showed dozens of cities across Iran early on Sunday with hundreds of high school girls, university students participating in the face of tear gas clubs, and in some cases, live ammunition by security forces. Human rights groups are trying to keep the numbers here. Right now, they estimate that there have been thousands of arrests and hundreds killed in the protests over the course of the past couple weeks. I'll continue to monitor details on my Instagram feed as I've been doing day in, day out. Okay, back here at home in the US. This week will mark four weeks until the big midterm elections. A quick state of play for you. The US Senate continues to remain up for grabs. Keep in mind, the Senate right now is 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and about a third of the seats are up in four weeks. Several key seats we're watching are in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Those are seven of the closest races, which could determine the fate of the Senate. Florida, Colorado, and Utah also have Senate seats up. They also bear some watching, though in those cases, the polls are not as close as the other seven states I mentioned. So while the Senate remains up for grabs, it really could come down to every single vote in a number of those states. On the House side, it does appear that the Republicans have a relatively safe advantage here. According to political projections right now, Democrats will need to win 80% of all competitive seats to hold control of the chamber. Right now, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats have a nine-seat majority, meaning Republicans literally just need to flip five House seats to make Kevin McCarthy the congressman from California the next speaker, and give their party a majority. I'll continue to cover midterms in the coming weeks. You can check out vote411.org if you're looking to see what will be on your ballot where you live. Again, that's vote411.org. As we talk about midterms, though, one story that has caught my attention are some of the new security measures that polling locations across the country are taking ahead of the election in a couple weeks. The news organization Reuters did a survey of 30 election offices in swing states and found that 15 of them, half of them, have enhanced security in various ways. That includes everything from installing panic buttons to hiring extra security guards to holding active shooter and de-escalation training drills. Here are some examples. When voters in Jefferson County, Colorado cast their ballots on November 8th, they're going to see security guards stationed outside the busiest polling centers. Over in Flagstaff, Arizona, voters will encounter bulletproof glass and will need a buzzer to enter to vote. In Tallahassee, Florida, election workers will be counting ballots in a building that has walls made of super strong fiber Kevlar. Local officials say this has all been spurred by an onslaught of threats. They've been seeing and intimidating behavior since 2020, particularly by conspiracy theorists who are upset about Trump's 2020 election defeat and believe that elections are no longer legitimate in this country. So election officials at dozens of locations, perhaps actually hundreds of locations at this point are fortifying their operations as they ramp up for what could be another divisive election. The U.S. Justice Department says it has already investigated more than a thousand messages to election workers since the 2020 election, including 100 that could warrant prosecution. Seven cases have been charged so far. The first sentence actually came on Thursday when a Nebraska man received 18 months in prison for threatening an election official. And this is one stunning stat. One in five, 20% of U.S. election officials said they're unlikely to stay in their jobs through 2024, according to a survey by the Brennan Center of Justice. Those officials cite everything from stress to attacks by politicians to an impending retirement as reasons for leaving. Okay, I have a lot more ahead for you in this episode, but first I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I just started using their AG1 powder daily a couple weeks ago, and I'm excited to share my experience with you. So last year I was feeling a bit sluggish, and so I met with a nutritionist to ensure I was getting all my vitamins. The nutritionist ended up putting me on a regimen that included four supplements in the morning, another five at lunch, and then a few more at dinner. The bottom line is that it has become a lot, a lot of pills to keep track of and a bit pricey. So I was very excited to learn recently about athletic greens and their AG one powder my goal was to replace some if not all of those many supplements I took for breakfast for lunch and with dinner, with a scoop of the AG1 powder in just 8 ounces of water. As a journalist, you know I try to ask all the important questions. So I was able to have a conversation with someone from Athletic Greens, and I was excited to learn that they've actually updated their formula more than 50 times as diets have evolved and as they've learned more things. The AG1 powder contains more than 75 important ingredients that includes tons of vitamins, minerals, as well as pre and probiotics to support gut health. I've been telling you about how this flu season could be pretty bad, according to experts. And so a lot of what AG1 is focused on is building the strong immune system. This essentially is a nutritional insurance policy as we head into cold and flu season. Some of you may have heard by now about Athletic Greens and the AG1 supplement. I'm actually very excited to try this together with some of you in the Mo News community. Please let me know about what your experience is like about it. And here's some extra good news. Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D as well as five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health and take advantage of this offer. Again, with our special offer for Mo News listeners, you get a one-year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health and to take advantage of this special offer, the one year supply of vitamin D, the five free travel packs, as well as a discount if you sign up for a monthly subscription to AG1. Again, the website is athleticgreens.com backslash monews. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can just click through there uh, to make it easy if you're on the go right now. It'll help you take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Okay, we got a bit of good news for Brittany Griner on Sunday, or at least we hope so. Bill Richardson, he's the former New Mexico governor and former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. He's effectively become the negotiator in a number of these cases, including in this case from the Biden administration to Russia. He said on Sunday that he is, quote, cautiously optimistic that he will be able to put together a release plan for Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. He's the Marine who's also being held by Russia in exchange for two Russians. Richardson has been unofficially, officially negotiating with Russian officials as a private citizen. He told CNN that a deal could be feasible soon and could happen by the end of the year. Richardson says that Russia appears to be willing to move forward with an agreement, a two for two agreement, Greiner and Whelan, for two Russians currently held in U.S. prison. It comes against the backdrop of several deals, including a separate deal. The U.S. made with Russia earlier this year for separate prisoners that were being held there, as well as recent deals with both Iran and Venezuela for Americans held in those countries. A bit of economic news. We got a U.S. jobs report on Friday that showed us that the jobs market does remain strong, but is starting to cool down a bit. Employers in the month of September added 263,000 jobs. That is a decline from August when they added more than 300,000. The number was the lowest since April 2021, but still solid. That left the unemployment rate at 3.5%, which is a 50-year low. Now, while that sounds like good news for the Federal Reserve, that sort of isn't. It means they have more work to do to cool down the economy by raising interest rates further. Again, it might seem counterintuitive to hear that uh, businesses in America hired, but it might be bad news, but this is the situation. If companies are still hiring, that means sales are strong, right? Which means people are still spending money, which means that people are spending money, prices will go up. Hence, inflation is still an issue. And so what the Fed has been doing and will likely continue to do when they meet again in November is raise interest rates to try to dry up that available money. So the leaders of the Fed were hoping for an even cooler report on Friday. Now, it does look, based on an initial analysis of that jobs report, that most employers were just trying to replace employees and not adding additional ones. This all comes as there is a lot of concern still about the state of the economy and what could be ahead in 2023. Mohamed El-Aryan, he's a noted economist who used to be the head of PIMCO. Uh, he is now the chief economic advisor over at Allianz, which is a major financial services and insurance company. He said on Sunday that the U.S. is heading towards a recession that was, quote, totally avoidable. Lrian told CBS News that the Federal Reserve has made major mistakes that will go down in the history books. He said it really comes down to two major mistakes. One is assuming that inflation was transitory, meaning it was a temporary situation or reversible, not to worry about it. And then number two, when they realized that inflation wasn't going to just go away, they didn't fight it. They didn't act fast enough. Nearly 90% of CEOs surveyed recently believe we will see a recession at some point in 2023, though they do differ on how bad it could get. A recession means that the economy gets smaller during that time period, and typically one of the features is that unemployment goes up. As we talk about the economy, I want to do a deeper dive here on those jobs numbers that we got on Friday. One figure really struck me as we went through those numbers. While the overall U.S. economy has gotten back to the number of jobs we had pre-pandemic, it took us about two and a half years to get back to March 2020 jobs. In fact, we now have slightly more jobs than we had back in March 2020, one sector that hasn't recovered and looks like it has a long, long journey to get back to where it was and grow again is the education and teaching sector. Numbers I saw out on Friday show that there are 300,000 less teachers than there were in 2019. That number comes as many of the nation's public schools have started the school year with teacher shortages, A brand new survey out last week from the National Education Association found that 53% of schools, a majority, were understaffed at the beginning of the school year. Going deeper into the numbers here, 60% of schools reported struggles with shortages going back to the pandemic. It's difficult to nail down the exact number of classrooms facing teacher shortages, but reports from across the country detail staffing gaps that sometimes stretch from the hundreds. Some parts of the country say the shortages go into the thousands. The education secretary, Miguel Cardona, did an interview last week. He attributed recent teacher shortages in the U.S. to low pay and a lack of respect. And this really ranges from blue states to red states, uh, private schools and public schools. I heard from hundreds of you over the weekend when I posted a couple of these stories. There are just so many teachers who are following us on Instagram telling us your stories about what you're experiencing and how difficult things have become in recent years. I saw one recent study out of Texas that found that nearly three quarters of teachers in Texas are seriously considering leaving the profession over what they say is a lack of respect and support. Zooming out a bit nationally, according to the U.S. Department of Education, teacher shortages are now the most common in special education, elementary school, followed by math and English as a second language classrooms. And it's not just teachers, schools nationwide are reporting a shortage of bus drivers, custodians, and mental health counselors. The reasons are really run the gamut, obviously everyone is dealing with uh, mental health issues and stresses, Post pandemic, a lot of the teachers were writing me this weekend about the politics they face now from parents, many who get misinformation via social media, who are fighting things like social emotional learning or diversity, equity and inclusion training, uh, race issues, uh, school boards that are uh, overriding them or are banning hundreds of books. Uh, So there's a larger political focus, but then there's the huge funding gaps. In some cases, teachers are having to fund things themselves. And this report was pretty stunning. The teacher wages have been mostly flat since 1996. That's 26 years ago. When you adjust things for inflation, the average teacher has seen a $29 wage increase in 25 years. You can read much more about this in my newsletter today, the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. And also check out the Instagram page. I have a highlight related to teachers with all the the messages uh, and a deep dive on this subject from over the weekend. All right, a couple entertainment headlines we're monitoring for fans of Netflix's Inventing Anna, if you've been following this story. This is the story of Anna Sorokin, who took on this identity, Anna Delvey. Well, she was officially released from a New York detention center on Friday. Delvey, aka Sorokin, is now residing in New York City. She served nearly two years in prison for grand larceny, stealing at least one flight on a private jet, a range of financial crimes Really, she ended up being released for six weeks back in 2021, but then was detained by immigration authorities, where she's now been in detention for 18 months for overstaying her visa. Her whole story was featured in a Netflix series, Inventing Anna, where uh, they go through how she swindled her way into a jet-setting lifestyle, despite being born in Russia, living in Germany, and then coming into the US and really taking on this new identity. So after serving her time in prison and now 18 months in immigration detention, she posted a $10,000 bond on Friday as a condition of her release. And she is now in home confinement in New York City, where she has to wear an ankle bracelet and stay off of social media. In her first interview with the new york times after her release on friday she said she will be challenged not to be on social media but has a lot of projects in store she does believe that art is part of her future and she did tell the times quote i'm regretful about the way things played out the way i've tried to see my experience is to learn from it Who I am today is because of the decisions I made in the past. This whole story is pretty remarkable. And while that Netflix series, Inventing Anna, does take some liberties with the truth. In fact, they're facing a lawsuit from one of the people depicted in the program. It does give you a sense of how Anna Sorokin was able to basically create this character from scratch and swindle some of the uh, most influential people in New York. Back in the real world, she's not gonna be fighting deportation, but we will see what she has up her sleeve next. Okay, now to another news story we were tracking over the weekend about someone else who also loves a lot of attention. In a matter of 24 hours, Kanye West managed to get himself suspended from both Instagram and Twitter for anti-Semitic comments over the weekend. This all goes back to Kanye wearing a White Lives Matter sweatshirt at several recent events. A number of people have been critical of Kanye for wearing the White Lives Matter uh, motto on clothing. That includes apparently rapper Diddy, uh, aka Sean Puffy Combs. Apparently he was critical of Kanye, and so then Kanye posted text messages the two had sent to one another over on Instagram. One of the messages that Kanye posted implied that Diddy was a pawn of Jews for criticizing the White Lives Matter clothing. Meta, the parent company of Instagram, then proceeded to block Kanye from posting new content on Instagram. That then led Kanye to go to Twitter, a place that he has not been posting for about two years now, where he tweeted the following, quote, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. You guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who opposes your agenda. He went on to say that he can't be anti-Semitic because black people are Jewish. It was unclear what Kanye meant there. Either way, Twitter removed the tweet shortly after Kanye posted it. And there's a notice on Twitter's page, on his page, that says this tweet violated the Twitter rules. While his page is currently still alive, Twitter says he is locked out of it as of Sunday night. Kanye has a long history of erratic behavior, goading controversy, seeking attention. These latest events, though, really take things up to the next level, the White Lives Matter clothing, followed by these really overtly anti-Semitic social posts on Instagram and Twitter, uh, implying a Jewish control over things. It remains to be seen how long these social media companies will effectively block him from posting more and what impact Kanye will see from these recent posts. Okay, slight change of pace here. I was rooting on a couple friends who ran in the Chicago Marathon this weekend, and it turns out an American woman set a record this weekend. The winners for both the men's and women's category were two Kenyans. Uh, For the men, it was Benson Caprudo who finished the marathon in two hours, four minutes and 24 seconds. He was 25 seconds ahead of the second place finisher from Ethiopia. Meanwhile, in the women's category, Ruth Chepngetich from Kenya was the top woman for the second consecutive year. She finished in two hours and 14 minutes and 18 seconds. An American, Emily Sisson ran the course in two hours, 18 minutes and 29 seconds. She set a record for American women with that finish. More than 40,000 runners overall competed in the marathon. Okay, we're gonna end here on a new study on when to eat and why it pays to be the early bird. This is according to research published this week in Cell Metabolism, the journal. Researchers found more evidence that eating earlier in the day might be good for you. The headline is, eat breakfast and then try to confine all your meals to a 10 hour window. Participants who ate their meals later in the day were found to be more hungry, Burn calories at a slower rate, and had body changes that promoted fat growth. This study comes to us from researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And so this is how they did the study. Researchers had 16 overweight patients eat the same exact meals on two schedules, one with meals earlier in the day, and the other with meals about four hours later in the day. Participants logged their hunger and appetite, and that's as researchers gathered blood samples, levels of body temperature, energy expenditure, And samples of body fat tissue from the subjects. They found that later eating more than doubled the likelihood of being hungry. When study participants ate later in the day, they had lower levels of the hormone leptin. Leptin is typically present when we feel full. Genetic tests also suggested that fat growth accompanied later eating. The study found that on average, 60 fewer calories were being burned every day by the late eaters. The other major suggestion from the study was to confine your eating to a 10 hour window. So, say you uh, start your breakfast at 8 a.m. to finish your dinner by 6 p.m. and then allow your body to have a 14-hour break. Some interesting results and it does fall in line with some other studies we've seen about uh, keeping your uh, eating confined to a certain period of time as well as eating on the early side. I will link to the study in the show notes. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please, before you go, subscribe or follow the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode. Also, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us. Every review matters and really helps the show grow. I'd love your feedback on how we're doing, on what we're covering. You can email me at podcast at mo.news. Subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. And follow me on Instagram at moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.